I'll do it in, individually. Jacqueline Hamilton, how are you? Good morning. Great. Thanks, Alex. How are you? Oh, nice and buoyant. Love to hear it. Gregory King, come on down. Good morning, Alex and all gang. How are you? Fantastic. And Peter Krauss, who's been, well, he's, he's been away for a couple of weeks because you've been involved in films and introducing them and talking to crowds and putting them offside, correct? <laughs> yes, with the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival. Good morning, everyone. And Dave Griffiths, g'day. Good morning, gang. How are we all going? Now, the important thing is that I, I learned something about Jackie. She is a jump the gunner. You know what that is, folks? Jump the gunner. Because not that I would ever reveal text messages that are sent to me in private. However, when she mentions into the second quarter that the Ds are thrashing the pies by heaps and they end up losing the game and she has egg on her face, what does one say, Jackie Hamilton? Why are we talking about sport, Alex? Dave, you encouraged him. Don't do this. (laughs) Entertainment, Jackie. And Greg King, who goes to the football and drinks a lot when he goes to the football. You don't even like talking about football. Why not? Greg? I do like talking about it, but in the right format and the right appropriate place. It's not on a film and entertainment show. And, um, yes. Well, bugger you, Jack. We're going to keep talking about it. Peter Krause, you know a lot about it. have a mutiny here. A mutiny, a mutiny on my hands. Peter Krause, you can talk knowledgeably about football, can't you? Because you actually saw, hang on, we see, you saw a golf movie that you liked. So does that mean that, you know, we're turning you? Uh, definitely not. And can you explain to me who the pies were playing? Was it the sausage rolls? Yeah, see, this is, <laughs> this is very childish, Peter, right? This is extremely childish. You know, you, you live in a country, you live in a state where football rules the roost. And that's why we talk about football. Let's now move on to talk about other things. And I I found it interesting this week that there was finally a retort from Will Smith over that incident. I I don't think there'll ever be an incident as profound in some ways as what occurred at this year's Oscars and how to go from the top of the heap to the bottom of the pile in a matter of a second or two. And his whole career has been shattered by this incident where he, he thought he was standing up for his wife but really overstepped the mark. And now we've finally got the apology, if you like, that we were bound to get. What what does this mean for his career? Is, is it resurrectable, for want of a better expression, or is it not at this point? Are we going to – is he ever going to be as beloved an actor as he was before the incident? What do you, what do you reckon, guys? Start off with people, you. People have short memories, Alex. Given 10 years, he can't go to the Oscars again for 10 years. And after that, people will be like, oh, who is this actor? Will Smith. Gee, he's good. Well, it's it's also, um, oh, I've gone blank. Who's the um, actor in the House of Cards? What's his name? The, the one who's. Kevin Spacey. Yeah. Well, Kevin Spacey's apparently uh, bringing out a new movie as well. Now, I'm not sure how that's going to go down. What do you reckon, Greg? I don't know how. I don't know. Um, well, I'm asking you. All I know is a backlash against um, him for the past few years. Um, but uh, as we've said on this program before, Alex, you've got to divorce yourself from the actor and his screen and off his off-screen. Um, yeah, but, but I mean, there is there is some, if you like, uh, it, whether we call it a some some activity, shall we say that don't endear one to the public and and they vote with their feet. Peter, what, what's your view on all of this? I, I tend to agree with Greg. I mean, you have to separate the two. I mean, look at uh, Polanski, look at Woody Allen, uh, who have been tainted by uh, particular scandals and issues, and yet uh, people will still see through that and, well, and watch, you know, watch their you, films. Woody Allen's a good example. I mean, I, I really like his movie making, but we haven't seen – in fact, his last movie we couldn't even get to see. So, I mean, the, the, there's no doubt that it, he's not in the same space as he was. I know he's much older as well, but, I, I mean, if it wasn't for the, you know, the, the allegations there about uh, what he did, his ex-wife and all that sort of stuff and his, his, his stepdaughter or caller, what you, what you will, uh, I, I reckon there'd be a lot more interest in, in the movies and, and we'd be able to see them. I mean, did you see his last movie? Uh, no, I don't think I have. No, exactly. So that's I saw it, I saw it on Foxtel. Oh, did you really, Dave? Yeah. Your your views about all of this as a topic? 
Yeah, um, I think it's I think it's interesting because of course Robert Downey Jr. was at the lowest point of his career and then got picked up to do Ally McBeal and that kind of resurrected his career to the point now where he's one of the biggest stars in Hollywood again. But I'm not sure if audiences are so forgiving anymore. I mean, look at Mel Gibson. He went from being the Hollywood elite to now basically making indie films that not a lot of people go to see. And I still know a lot of people who use that excuse, I won't go and watch a Mel Gibson film anymore. And um, I agree with you. That, that's the point that I'm making. I, uh, Jackie, you said that people are, are ready to forgive, you know, after a period of time. I'm not sure that they are. Pe- you know, no, no, Alex, sorry, I didn't say people are ready to forgive. I said they forget. They forget. Okay, but that's from... Yeah, and I, I think for, for Dave's point, maybe, Mel, maybe it's not all about the person Mel Gibson, but maybe it's more about the films he's making aren't attracting audiences, and that's why... Yeah, he uh, why he doesn't have that why he hasn't risen again. If you like, I think that's going to be the big problem for Will Smith as well. Is which studio is going to take that risk? Because a film is a product, and of course, in the culture that we're in these days, with the council culture and things like that, at the end of the day, people do boycott products if certain people are associated with them. And I think the thing that is going to make it hard for Will Smith to bounce back is. People are referring to it as a violent act. Now, a lot of people will go, oh, it's just a slap, but it is still an act of violence. And so it's very different to what we've seen a lot of other actors and directors do over the years as well. Mm. well I, I, in relation to women, Dave, I mean, they're acts of violence. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. I don't think it's going to get classed into the same area as that. I mean, yeah. We'll never see Weinstein make another movie, and rightfully no. so. Um, and I wonder whether Will Smith will find himself in that category rather than the um, the category of an actor bouncing back from a drug addiction or an alcohol addiction where they've done something and turned their life around. So it's all about... He, may, the, he yeah. may be very restricted too in the kinds of films that he would be... I mean, you wouldn't have him in a film where he's standing there slapping guys. So it will restrict the kind of film he would be able to make in... Yeah. in the future. Well, I mean, it's all about the studios. That that that's the point that I was making. If if a studio thinks somebody's toxic, they're not going to pick up that actor, regardless of their previous standing, and then they are resigned to an independent filmmaker or whatever doing something with them. And I mean, you think about what the studio, the power of the studio. Think about the movie that wasn't released this week because uh, it was basically supposedly a, a pretty terrible movie, and that's the bat. Batwoman. Uh, what, who was the Bat actor girl. in it? Batgirl. Yeah, I've forgotten uh, the actor, the, the female actor. I, 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 does anybody know the name? The the, the female lead. I mean, I, that- I don't know the name, but they've actually changed why they're not doing it. They've actually dropped three projects now because they're saying that it's not fitting into the future plans of the DC universe. I read that. I read that. So, yeah. so, so I mean, how do we do we believe that that's the real reason? I mean, surely. Well, Surely if the film was good enough, they would release it. I'm sorry. But they've made one film and two television shows that they've completed and now dropped. Yeah, I know that. So yeah. so hang on. A change of course. They've spent, what, a couple of hundred million bucks and then they're not going to do anything with it? Or are they going to release it at a future stage? Or, you know, where, where are things at? I, I, I kind of – I know that there was a statement. I read that over the last 24 hours or so. But regardless – I. Uh, you know, you, you uh, I'm, I'm sorry I'm going to go back to football, the three of you. I, I just ignore the three of you. Dave, you think about what's happened with Adelaide this week, right? How many years after the event, 2018? And, and finally, we've got the truth, it seems to be, and it's been covered over. Now, I mean, that's all people want, and that, that's what we really need. We still don't know the truth behind the drug saga, the Essendon drug saga. There's There's so much that is swept under the carpet, and in particular in politics as well. That, that happened. Yeah, I mean, if you think about what's gone on in this state over the last decade, there's been cover-up after cover-up. There's been allegation after allegation. We don't seem to ever get the truth. It really annoys the bejesus of me, out of me. It, it, I mean, it's, it's, we're living in this state and, and, and the wool's being pulled over our eyes regularly. It's just not the way that people should perform and act, and yet it happens all the time. And and they 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 think spinning is the answer. I mean, you know, I, I I honestly think that the league did the wrong thing 
by not coming out and condemning what happened. I mean, people's lives have been affected by what happened in Adelaide. And the same thing with a lot of the other discussions that we're having today. It's it's just it's unconscionable behaviour and it's it's been allowed to propagate because people try to wallpaper over things. That's not that's not the answer. I'm sorry. I, I don't believe in it at all. I think our our society has gone downhill quite dramatically over the last 20 years. And I think it's we're going further and further down into the sewer. That that's my honest assessment of of what I'm seeing around me. The world's not a very nice place, and people are becoming more and more scurrilous, and and they're getting away with things they shouldn't be getting away with. And it, coming back to acting, I mean, you've got to believe in the actor. You've got to you've got to want to go out and see somebody. Now I know a lot of these uh, images are manufactured, but you know you you think about. Uh, if you think about sports people, for example, and you correlate that to acting and so forth, you think about a 25-year-old act, uh, actor, 25-year-old sports person who's probably the most beloved figure who's now retired from tennis, right, after having won three majors. She did everything right. She she spoke her truth. People believed her. She she didn't want to big note herself. There was a humbleness about her. It's a, it's a. I mean, you think about the contrast to some of the other people that we've been speaking about, Dave. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, and yeah that's why I think companies do need to be honest. But, but how do you know when a company is being honest? Like you just said with DC, DC Comics have made a a statement about why they've dropped that movie and two television shows, but no one seems to be believing them. Yeah, well, and, and that and that's because people spin all the time so much that you can't. What's fact and what's fiction? I, you know, there needs to be a definitive comment made. You know, hand on heart type type material, and this is where it's very it's very difficult because there's so much. If you think about the digital world, there's so much that can be manufactured. You put a photograph of yourself up there. Has it been photoshopped? Right. You know, all of those sorts of things. What what is truth? Is it is it a perception of truth? Is it your truth where your truth is different to mine? You know, there's so much these days that can be manufactured by technology. People can be brought back who are dead, right? And and we see them on a screen and 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 so on. So yeah, I, I think the the concept of truth itself is a rather interesting one. Having said all of that, my name's Alex First. You're listening to First on Film and Entertainment, and Jackie Hamilton. You're still in. Inex- it's an inexcusable act to uh, say the D's are thrashing the pies. Let's get on to movies. We are going to talk first up about a film. What's that film that you really like, Jackie, that that uh, one about everything, everywhere, all at once, together, whatever, whatever? What was it called? Did you never see that, Alex? I did. Everything. Oh, okay. Yes. So what, what's it what called? About it? Everything, everywhere. Well, there's something in common between that and Bullet Train. There's there's a lot of that. What? You didn't see that? You didn't think there was anything common between the two? Uh, not really. Okay. It's well it's frenetic, but Yeah, well that that's it. There's so much stuff thrown at you that you don't believe. Uh, that's that's what I'm getting at. It's a really wild ride bullet train and the Japanese market look that they should lap it up, they will lap it up. It's a very long movie. It didn't need to be 126 minutes and it's MA rated and it it basically starts like this. A young boy lies bloodied in a hospital bed. His grandfather berates his father for not looking after him. Then the action moves to an unlucky assassin played by Brad Pitt. And he is targeting a silver briefcase on a bullet train travelling between Tokyo and Kyoto. That might seem relatively straightforward, but the resultant plot which links back to the kid in hospital is anything but. At its core, vengeance. And we're we're talking about... in. involving competing hired guns, trying to outsmart one another and extreme violence. Mind you, because this is a comedic action thriller, the key protagonists, well, they could be knifed, they could be speared, they can be riddled with bullets, but dying, no, no, that's a long shot. That's the sort of movie that this is. And I suppose it has to be that way to maintain the frenetic pace that Bullet Train establishes. There's no let up. More and more and more is thrown at us. And as new characters are introduced, their names, well, they're they're, they're writ large on screen, literally, right? They're sort of telemated. 
So you've got names like Tangerine, Lemon, The Hornet, The Wolf, Ladybug, and on it goes. There are also surprises aplenty and some noteworthy cameo appearances. It's been written by Zach Olkowitz, and it's based on a book of the same name that was written in 2010 by Kataro Asaka. The guy at the helm, David Leach, he was also, of course, in charge of the violent actioner John Wick, and that marked his directorial debut. So what I can say about Bullet Train is the production values are mighty impressive. It really is a stylish thriller, Dave, is it not? It is, and I think it actually harks back to directors like Guy Ritchie. It has that real Guy Ritchie feel to it when you're watching the film. And, of course, David Leach, a lot of people are excited about this film coming out because he did the first John Wick and then hasn't done any of the others. And and a lot of people who are fans of the franchise have said, not interested if Leach is not involved with it. So this is really good to see him doing something else. I really, really enjoyed it. I did notice the length, though. I have to admit, it could have been shorter, but I love Leach's style and I love that Guy Ritchie-esque feel that goes all the way through this film as well. Now, Peter, I have no idea what you're going to say about Bullet Train. Uh, I mean, it, it is nonsense, isn't it, in terms of plot? Absolutely. Look, it's an over-the-top fantasy, and uh, I must say the frenetic action, which unlike everything everywhere all at once, which had a a real point to it and uh, was very well-constructed film and very clever in many respects, this one, Bullet Train, is just part of this new genre or subgenre of films like The Grey Man and a number of others where you have lots and lots of action, violence, uh, mayhem, uh, and, uh, and people not dying and and resurrecting and all sorts of things happening um, without really uh, very much point to the storyline. So, I I mean, it is enjoyable in the sense that uh, the production values are quite superb and uh, especially seeing Brad Pitt floating uh, in the train at one stage. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and, uh, and Hang on, that's highly plausible, isn't it? Of course it is. It's, it's a just total reality. Yeah. But uh, but it's good to see Sandra Bullock. It's good to see a whole range of Asian actors in there as well. Um, look, there, there's much to admire in the film in terms of its production, but very little to admire in terms of the five assassins trying to outdo one another and uh, seeing who survives at the end, which is uh, also predictable and uh, repetitive uh, and lacks, I think, a particularly strong storyline. Yeah, I would agree. What about you, Greg? Did did you like it or not? Um, this is actually one of those films that actually improves on the book. I read the book um, a few months ago, um, and it was a bit hard to make sense of it, what was going on there. I thought the film brought it, made it a lot more understandable there. And I like the way he, David Leach has mixed comedy with the violence there um, and the jokey relationship there. I like the way that some of these characters and their quirky foibles were brought to life by the ensemble cast there. Um, in the book, most of the characters are obviously Japanese. Here they're off played by a top-notch cast of Caucasians there. Didn't bother me at all there. Um, and as you mentioned before, great um, production design and cinematography and editing um, by Rick, um, Leach's regular collaborators there that give it a frenetic pace. Um, it runs off the rails at the end, literally. Um, <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> but I, I thought it was quite good, and I, I agree with Dave. It's got that sort of Guy Ritchie feel about it as well um, with the way it sort of unfolds and it's fast-paced there. Um, and I like the relationship between Aaron Taylor Johnson and Brian Tyree Henry as the sort of assassins Lemon and Tangerine, who I thought their um, by-play and repartee added something to the film. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they're they touted as being twins. Of course, they're not. They're brothers in arms. That's probably the best way. Um, they're actually do- adopted brothers. Uh, they're adopted brothers, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's th- th- I've got to say that I struggle to actually understand them because they've got these co- this Cockney accent, haven't they? And and they, they bicker. But did you understand all they were saying, Greg? I uh, got got the gist of it, which is all you needed. All you needed because basically, yeah. But flashbacks I mean, gave us all the um all the backstories of all these ca- various characters where they're coming from. Jackie, did you understand them? Yes, I didn't have any trouble understanding yeah. them. Was I the only one that Nadine and I, Nadine being my wife, we we both li- looked at each other and said, "Huh, what?" Uh, there th- th- was. You that- don't watch enough British comedy on TV, perhaps. 
Well, did the re any of the rest of you have trouble with the accents? No? no. Okay, so it must have been now, us. Maybe you needed that woman from Flying High who could speak jive to help you here, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> very, very good, Greg. Have I like you got it. a problem with a Cockney accent, Governor? Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> now, what, okay, so Jackie... Uh, you, you being a, a very unusual individual, did you like Bullet Train? No, I, I didn't like Bullet Train. I really loved Bullet Train. No. It was great fun. I mean, come on, lighten up. It was a comic. Okay, it was violent and it was an action film, but it was it was basically a comedy, wasn't it? And yeah, I love I, a comedy. I, I, I like laughed it. out loud. But hang on, hang on. You don't know. Let, let's be honest. There's a lot of French comedy you don't like. I, yeah, well, that's not good comedy. This was good comedy. <laughs> this was funny comedy. This was dark comedy. Okay. Was, the, the language in this was fabulous. And I don't think any of you yet have mentioned Brad Pitt in detail. No. Like, such a great character, this kind well, of almost. Well, he plays Ladybug, we should say. That was one of the. Ladybug. Yeah, okay. And, yeah. and of course, the story all kicks off with him. And he's kind of this laid back, almost hippie style, sort of what am I doing here kind of you know, um, personality. And it was, uh, I mean, he, he he's the linchpin for the whole film. He's really funny. But so many in the cast have great individual roles. I couldn't even name them all. But even the, and I would have liked to have seen more Japanese in the cast as well. But the um, Asians who were in there it did come out with um, quite interesting little quirky personalities, such as the girl pushing the trolley through um with the food and snacks on board um no I, I there wasn't a lot i didn't like about i had to look away once or twice with the um yeah. violence which i yeah. certainly equated to a guy Ritchie in my own mind um but it was the language uh, i mean a, it's a really good script it was very funny you know i'm i'm not carver i'm just filling in brad pitt says you know i'm just filling in and he's gone through all this and if you're going to mention peter the um the slow motion of Brad Pitt or Ladybug uh, going through the train towards the end. You've also got to mention the way that it was the whole, almost the whole film was replayed um, fast forward uh, from the point of view of the water bottle. I mean, that's genius. It was funny. Do you remember that? That was so funny. Yeah, okay. I agree. That was so creative. Yeah. I, yes. I, I mean, th and you talk about the point of the storyline the story is quite clear. There's a lot of narrative going on. Probably too much. It got a bit confusing. I didn't really care about that. I just really enjoyed it. Well, I mean, there's no doubt that you've got vis visually, it's, it's one heck of a good-looking rooster. Some of the tricks they pull, quite breathtaking. And musically, I love that beginning. You've got a Japanese version of the Bee Gees hit, Staying Alive. You also had a um, Japanese version of Holding Out for a Hero. Yeah, so... You know, again, it's obviously playing to the market that it's it's likely to absolutely captivate, which is a which is a good thing. I, I mean, that, I reckon the actors have been told to have fun. That that's that's the starting point, and they do. They, there's no question. Some of the one-liners are very very clever, and I, I look. I I just still say trying to make sense of the totality of this nonsense uh, is hardly easy. Greg, you had the advantage of you read the book. Right, but as I said, the film made it much clearer and w was much better than the book. Well, but okay, as somebody who hadn't read the, the the book, I I still didn't think I understood the totality of it. But and but, did it matter, Alex? It didn't really matter. Well, did no, it? No, I, I, I'm giving it really high marks for because but because of the the creativity involved, the production values. It's escapism personified. That's what it is. And I I mean I I do relate it back to John Wick and and the violence and so forth, but you, you've sort of got to treat it as cartoon violence, don't you, Jackie? Oh, absolutely. And I think we saw that even in the the actual characters had almost a cut. Um, uh, Joey King playing uh, Prince. She mm. she yeah. was she was almost a cartoon figure, wasn't she? Yeah, they're, and they're caricatures. I, yeah, they are. That, mm. That's the sort of. But look, there's a lot. There is a lot to appreciate. Oh. I still would have liked to have understood the story a bit better than I did. So that's just me. Uh, but see it again, Alex. Go and see it again. No, I think I'll see the 2000 Essendon Premiership. Can we see that again? That would be worthwhile. Let's get a score out of 10, guys. Start with you, Peter. Uh, we're talking bullet train, MA rated, 126 minutes. 
it had some amusing moments. It, the production design uh, was very good. Uh, I still think the storyline didn't particularly hang together very well. So uh, I, overall, I give it six out of ten. Fair enough. What about you, Gregory King? I'll give it seven. Mm-hmm. Dave Griffiths. Yeah, I'm going with a seven as well. I'm like Jackie. I did laugh out loud at times and I found myself entertained, but I think it did run just a little bit too long. Yep, I'm giving it a seven as well. So Jackie's going to be the high watermark, I'm sure, about this. Go for it, Jackie. Bullet from Oh, sorry. You're going to say I'm over the top, but I I had a really good time, and I think that people, you know, the audiences will flock to this and really enjoy it. I gave Bullet Train eight and a half. Oh, my golly. Wow. Oh, my golly. Yeah, that's how much I enjoyed it. And I'll add one other thing. Six pretty close to the book for the most part. The last 20, 20 minutes or so uh, just – uh, creation of the um, filmmakers. Ah, is that so? Okay. Yeah. So they've extended the end of the book, basically, yeah? Yep. Yep. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Fantastic. All right, well, you're on JF, folks. 88FM programming that hopefully will captivate you and move you and do great things for you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Juniper, 95 minutes. M rated. Now, can somebody explain to me what the title means? Because I'm afraid I got to the end of this movie and I never understood what Juniper was. Anybody out there? It doesn't matter which of you. Yes, uh, I spoke to the director. Juniper is the plant that is used to make gin. Ah, okay. Thank you very much. Did you know that before asking or did you? No. Right. Yeah, because, I, I mean, you've got to extrapolate. And you can understand but the, the star of the show here is a woman who drinks like a fish. So, and her, her drink of choice is not, um, let's say it's not lemon, lemon juice. Uh, it is definitely gin. So th- this woman is rude. She's belligerent. She's overbearing. And she's mighty proud of it all. And she's crippled. She's ailing. And in her past, she was a war photographer. Her name's Ruth, played by Charlotte Rampling, very, very fine actor. She's Ruth is a straight-talking English woman who is, as I mentioned, the centrepiece around whom the action unfolds in Juniper. We're talking about the year 1992, and the only way you actually know that is in terms of some of the things that you're seeing, but there's also an upside-down calendar in, in at the start of the film. So... Ruth is visiting and staying with her son, Robert, because, as I mentioned, she's an English woman. Her, Robert is played by Martin Sokas, and she's also visiting the grandson, Sam, George Ferrier, and they live in New Zealand. Only neither the son nor the grandson wants Ruth there because there's, there's no love lost between mother and son nor between Ruth and Sam, between the, the mother and the grandson. So she arrives in a wheelchair. She's got a broken leg. She's got a nurse, Sarah, played by Edith Poor, in tow. And in short, she does everything the way she wants to do things, regardless of the consequences. Sam, well, he's particularly fragile because his mother's just died. And after his mother died, within a couple of months, he was carted off to boarding school. So there's much tension between his father, who himself was sent off to boarding school at the tender age of five, and the son. And when Ruth turns up, Sam makes it clear that he wants absolutely nothing to do with her. But when Robert announces he has to go to London, that's Robert the father, to sort out Ruth's trust, Sam's left with no choice because the nurse is also entitled to her breaks. And I've got to say, tending to Ruth is quite wearing. And then the situation worsens quite dramatically before there is a thaw in relations between mother and grandmother. So a couple of words that I, I, I came, this, this to me sums it up, pain and healing. That was at the forefront of my mind when I was reflecting upon Juniper. Juniper, what about you, Jackie? I was fully engrossed in the film Juniper, and I think that's primarily thanks to Charlotte Rampling, who just completely lives this role. She's just brilliant. Whenever the camera's on her, it's just, oh, she just, you know, exudes this this 
her, the character that she is, but she does it so well. Fruity language and and full on, and she's um, you know she's a really interesting person, young at heart, and uh, I, I thought she was terrific. And uh, Sam, and I'm trying struggling to remember his name. Oh, I, sorry, the actor playing Sam. Yeah. George Ferrier. George Ferrier. George Ferrier. He he was just about her equal in this. The young young guy. Yeah, I loved the way set against the New Zealand landscapes. Of course, I loved. I just was really engrossed in the way their relationship developed because they're so alike. They, you know, sparked off against each other at first, of course, and push each other's buttons. And then you could, you know, I mean, obviously this was the gist of the film, the way that they, you know, do come together. But I loved watching the progression of it and how that how they went about it and bringing other people into the scenario, um, his, his uh, you know, schoolmates, um, creating you know, situations that brought them out of themselves and then allow them. I didn't really like the end of the film, but I won't say what it was about. I just, it just, get, you know, shifted for me. But as a, as a film about two really interesting characters who are dysfunctional, forced together and develop a relationship and a fond, such a deep fondness, I thought it was a very special film. Jackie, would you agree that, I mean, I, I agree that it's a really quality production uh, and, and performances, stellar performances, no question about that, but it, it follows a largely predictable arc. Uh, yes. I, I could see it very early on and and it, yes. it, and it didn't surprise me in any way, uh, but the performances were great. The, the, we talk about the cinematography, wow. I mean, the, the settings, the, look, Whenever you do something in New Zealand, it's a beautiful country. So you've got the advantage to begin with. But, you know, the cinematography is terrific. There's a number of important reveals that the film has that provide insights into the key characters. You've talked about uh, Rampling. She does haughty with distinction. I, I mean, really fine showing of rage and resistance as far as I'm concerned. Peter, what do you reckon? Look, I agree. I spoke to the director about the film and uh, it's largely uh, autobiographical, not completely, but it's based on his own experiences when he was at school uh, and he had a grandmother uh, in a similar sort of situation um, with those sorts of fraught issues. And what this film deals with is very much two people at, um, I suppose, at very strong turning points in their lives, where uh, how, how their lives will continue continue if they will continue because of course the uh, the young man is suicidal uh, as we discover in the film and <laughs> and uh, and uh, Charlotte Rampling's character is uh, <laughs> oh dear it's also yeah. very unwell it's about to cark it on, on radio <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> that's yeah. no good <laughs> uh, okay so rise above the cacophony peter Good name for a film. Uh, anyway, uh, so the the dramatic journey that I suppose these characters follow is the important part. Yes, it is to, to some extent predictable, but I don't think that matters because it is so very carefully shot, so beautifully performed, um, and and really has something to say about. Uh, different generations about lives and about how people cope when they know that uh, they are at a particular turning point in their particular lives. So, look, I, I found this a, a very strong drama and was very impressed by it. And I must say the amount of gin that was drunk in the Ooh, film boy. is incredible. Yeah, it, it was, <laughs> absolutely. But, but, I mean, I'll take issue with one thing you mentioned, I do think it matters if you you know the arc, if you know the story arc. It, because it's such a quality production, a, a little bit more effort, a, a few surprises, whatever it might be, would have raised this to even higher heights. Pardon me as far as I'm concerned. Surely you can see that. I don't necessarily agree. I mean, you're not going to have every film being so original that uh, it's going to, to surprise you and have a different ending or conclusion or, or or plot development. You you have to go with genre as well and whether films are strong in the genre that they're set in. And I think Juniper is uh, an example of a very strong drama genre film with a, a, a very strong arc or journey. Peter, do you remember in a different genre entirely, but do you remember Ensemble? Right, that movie. 
Yes. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, that blew my mind in terms of the, the reveal at the end and so on. And, it, I mean, surely that's about creativity as well. And when you say, well, all movies can't be original, I understand they can't be, but surely that's the objective of a filmmaker to make something that you can't necessarily chart the path and, and put building blocks along the way. That's the point that I'm making. No? You just well, uh, uh, look, that might be a nice aim for some filmmakers, but there are so many genre films and so many other films that uh, are very good at following a journey uh, into their logical conclusion, I suppose, and you're not going to have total originality. Otherwise, what are you going to have in Juniper? Charlotte Rampling at the end of the film suddenly uh, does a, a, a repertoire from The Sound of Music and starts <laughs> dancing or something. I mean, yeah, no, uh, <laughs> that's as childish as your other comments about football right thank you okay let's get on to let's get on to dave your thoughts about juniper yeah i thought it was a beautiful film i i do agree that it was predictable in parts but i thought what was so special about this film was that it explored the relationship between a grandson and a grandmother we don't see that very often in cinema we see a lot of father-son stories and mother-daughter stories I thought that made this film really special, but I was absolutely blown away by the performances as well of uh, George Ferrier and Charlotte Rampling. I said in my review, George Ferrier reminded me of a very, very young Heath Ledger um, in some of the films that Heath Ledger made early on in his career. Charlotte Rampling, I, I take my hat off to her. I love her as an actress. I love the fact that she can go and make a French masterpiece like Young and Beautiful but then also go and make something like Street Dance or a Vin Diesel movie um, in between. She's such a, a versatile yeah. actress. Oh, yeah. that, and she doesn't seem to have that qualm about, no, I'm not going to do that movie because it's a, a genre flick or it's a popcorn flick. Loved her performance here. Um, together, Charlotte Rampling and George Ferrier, I think, is what makes this film so special. I also, I've got to say Martin Sokas, he, he does a very good job. It's a smaller role, but he really brings that distance to his persona. And and also, to, to finish off the, the quartet, Edith Poor as Sarah, the nurse, uh, she shows empathy, which is what you'd expect of Ruth's carer. But, I mean, no question, Ferrier, a breakthrough role, really strong impression, the vulnerable youngster teetering on the edge, Greg. You haven't, I haven't seen, seen this one. one yet. No, that's true. You will you will see it, no doubt. It's it's an important film to see. I mean, the the, the cinematography, I should say, is Martin Williams. The soundtrack, the soundtrack's really good too, isn't it? Uh, from Martin Perkins and Marlon Williams. That just to give them a bit of credit. Really thoughtful, reflective work. Moments of tenderness, compassion amongst all the barbs and the vitriol that's thrown around here. It's called Juniper. It's M-rated and it runs for 95 minutes. Let's get a score out of 10 from you, Jacqueline. Oh, I gave Juniper a 7.5 out of 10. So are you, are you okay? Your, your, your voice is breaking. <laughs> breaking. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, thank, thank yeah. you so much. And I do apologise for that outburst. I was desperately trying to mute my microphone oh, and oh. it only happened on the third time I, <laughs> right. I attempted it. That's but okay. I'll live. Does that mean that, I will live. that means you're human, which is a good thing? Uh, uh, I apologise. Yes, no problems. We, we've established that for the f first time that, that Jacqueline Hamilton is human. Uh, Peter Peter Krauss, seven and a half from Jackie. What do you reckon? Uh, I really like the film. Strong drama, eight out of ten. Mm -hmm. And Dave Griffiths. I'm giving it a seven out of ten, and I just wanted to say as well: this week we lost um, one of the the most important, I think, film and theatre critics we've ever had here in Australia. Phil Freeman passed away age 90, um, and she's a was a close friend of mine. She reminded me so much of Ruth because I can remember Phil coming along to one of my birthday parties at a nightclub when she was 70, and she still came along, and she reminded me so much of Ruth. So, yeah, <laughs> just all the respect to the, the Freeman family out there this week that um, with the passing of Phil age 90. Good on you. Yeah, so score, score out of 10 was 7. I'm yep. also giving it a 7 out of 10. Uh, the, the other movie, um, I think only Peter's seen this one, Employee of the Month. If I'm not mistaken, you and I are the only ones who've seen this. It's a really funny movie. Uh, Jackie, you don't like French comedy, unfortunately, but 
I thought this was hilarious. And it, it's a it's a really it's a short film. It's eighty five minutes. It rates it's rated M. Vincent Peltier, played by Jerome Commandeur. Vincent Peltier's life is on the line. It's an off in this often what I found hilarious comedy, French comedy, employee of the month. When traveling through the Ecuadorian jungle, Vincent is captured by a hostile tribe. And it's up to the chief of the tribe, played by Jean-Louis Loca, who does not trust white people to decide his fate. And it looks like Peltier could be burnt alive. The chief wants to hear Peltier's backstory to determine whether he's worthy to cross the land where the tribe roams. And so it is that Peltier recounts the events that led up to that point. So from a very young age, like his dad, Peltier dreamt of securing a public service job. Now, who amongst us has had a public service job? Greg, have you? Uh, well, depending on where you call Telstra or teaching public service. Well, I would have thought I would have thought Telstra. Telstra used to be owned by the government, didn't it? At some yeah. Time. So yeah, I mean, if I don't know when you were employed by them, but I mean, was it a cushy job or not? Yeah, he's based in an office. Um, no, yeah. not not paid, till, paid every every fortnight, and that was it. Not too demanding. Yeah, exactly, and that's the reason that I mean, you know, why would you dream of securing a public service job? Because it, it's a form of employment that's about as comfortable as you can get. The hours aren't onerous. The pay's decent. The benefits are mouth watering, and. That's why Vincent Peltier lands on his feet at a relatively young age. And his parents are really proud of him. And, and he's courted by a woman whose dream marriage is that to a public servant. Yes, you guessed it. But after 16 years on the job, the unexpected happens. To save money, the public service minister in France, who's in line for a cabinet post, announces job cuts. And... Whilst many who fit certain categories can be reassigned in France, Peltier is not one of them. Still, with the help of a crafty union leader called Michel Gugnard, played by Christian Clavier, despite having a target on his back, Peltier finds a way around the system. Because he refuses to accept redundancy, which is what they want for him, this higher-ranking public servant, Inspector Isabel Ballancourt, played by Pascal Arbelor has him transferring right around, traversing and transferred around the globe, undertaking highly undesirable jobs. So whatever the shite jobs are, they're the ones assigned to this guy who won't take, he won't take no for an answer. He, he basically wants to keep on working in the public service. But try as she does to get him to sign on the dotted line to accept his payout, Peltier's spirit will not be broken. And each time he seems to revel in his latest assignment. And each time he revels in his latest assignment, the stakes are upped until he lands a job in the remote wilderness where, and at, at the risk of uh, giving a little spoiler, he's charged with protecting French scientists from attack by polar bears. I kid you not. So the only other thing I should mention, while he falls for a scientist, one of the scientists there, the path to eternal bliss is anything but straightforward as the ministry remains out to get him. Does it not, Peter? It's one of the funniest movies I've seen. It, it is quite funny. Um, I must say this is a variation of uh, a few other films that have been made over the last few years with a very similar storyline. Uh, I know Italy and Spain uh, have produced uh, similar versions and and it's based on the whole European concept and to some extent uh, in France where public servants have a job for life and uh, so this is a satiric view of how far people will go to keep their job um, or to make sure that they don't lose their job because of the the sinecure that uh, having a public service job has for life um so uh, what what has been like that here didn't it I mean if you if yes my it, it, yeah I, I I didn't just dream that. If you had a job, you had a job for life. Um, yes, with public, yes. I mean, I don't know whether there's any job now like that in Australia. I mean, if you work for yourself, as long as they got there's work to be had, then I suppose you've got a job for life. But there's no no job with an employer will give you where you've got security or, of tenure anymore. I, I'm surprised that it was like 
I don't know what was behind that other than it's a good feeling if you, you've got a job that you like and, and and nobody can ever sack you. Does anybody – I mean, Peter, do you know why that was the case? This was only like 20 years ago. Why that was the case in Australia? I'm curious. Well, I think it's partly to do with the idea of having uh, uh, people in roles that are continuous so that even when there are changes of government or all sorts of other things may happen, that you have continuity uh, of employment and continuity of tasks that are performed. And so I suppose the idea of uh, having tenure, uh, Mm. and I suppose that happened in universities as well, even though that's been uh, watered down as well, uh, is the idea of that continuity, that you have a job, that you know know that you can continue without any fear of being sacked or of being uh, let go for whatever reason. Well, you're a teacher and so is Greg. Uh, is, was it, isn't, wasn't that the case with teaching as well, Greg, wasn't it? That, that you could well, – I, well, I don't know whether you were ever under that system, that once you're in a, in a system, they couldn't get rid of you. Uh, I was in, in the era of limited tenure and contracts. Oh, so, okay. And, Peter, were you ever in a – situation where they couldn't get rid of you as a teacher or not? Initially, that was the case. I was in government schools and uh, and I had tenure. But yes, uh, as Greg quite rightly said, they changed the system so that uh, uh, contracts came in and redundancies and uh, oh. all sorts of things, yeah, because of uh, oversupply, supposedly. But, but, but I find it interesting because um, lately I've been sort of hearing more and more about this. The average length of time people are in jobs is getting shorter and shorter. So. Uh, Yes. It, it, it's quite the antithesis of what it was like when, when I was growing up. Uh, I mean, anyway, it, it, it's an interesting one because here we've got a bloke who, who just doesn't want to leave. And, and so to, to say a little bit more, I mean, it is silly. It is far-fetched. But it's got charm. It's got wit. It's got joie de vivre, don't you think? Look, it's it's funny. It's it's a satire. It has some very amusing uh, set pieces. The North Pole sequences are quite amusing, as well as the ones in Africa. Uh, look, uh, all of it is uh, quite enjoyable. And as always, there is a cameo from Gerard Depardieu. Yes, there is. <laughs> what would a French movie be without him? That's right. Uh, I, I think you could count the steps. You could count the number of seconds he's on the screen. But still, I mean... Uh, but, but when you think about it, the circumstances dre- dreamt up by the star, Jerome Commandeur, who wrote the piece or co-wrote it with Xavier Mignon and uh, also directs, I mean, I think it's, it's quite something. Eh? It's quite priceless. Uh, some, and we've talked about the one-liners. I mean, again, really, really clever. And, and it's, it's, to me, it's evenly funny because a lot of comedies are not. You've got comedic moments, but th- there's a consistency about it that's sort of evenly rib tickling. And I think that's great. And sure, it's easygoing nonsense, and, and more easygoing nonsense is piled upon that. And yet, it doesn't purport to be anything else. It's, it's sort of one of these things that you just let wash over you, isn't it, Peter? I agree fully. It's it's nice to have a a, a comedy that uh, is consistent, is sharp, is short, uh, and uh, and says some uh, interesting things politically as well. This you mentioned um, off off air. This came out at the French Film Festival last year, did it? Yes, it did. Ah, okay. Yeah, because um, I hadn't heard a lot about it and I didn't see it then. I mean, I'd call this brilliant escapist entertainment. I mean, it's noteworthy because of the acting. I thought the acting of Commandeur was just terrific and his comrades. Mind you, um, it's it really is the, the droll representation of Commandeur that stands out as far as I'm concerned. He's got really great comic mastery, doesn't he? Yes, he does. He does. It, no, the whole film is well-timed. Yeah, exactly. So, look, the more I saw, the more I enjoyed what I was seeing. It's bright, it's breezy, and it does – I mean, I laughed aloud and it certainly put a smile on my face. Did it put a smile on yours as well? Oh, yes, there were some amusing moments. I, I quite enjoyed it. Yeah, fantastic. Look, I'm going to give it, I'm sure, a higher score than you. It's rated M. It runs for 85 minutes. It's called Employee of the Month. What's your score, Peter? Uh, seven out of ten. And I'm giving it an eight out of ten. Now, Jackie, have we whetted your appetite to see something like this? Because you, you don't seem to see, uh, enjoy the French pl- proclivity as much as I do. Well, I did see the trailer, Alex, and that was enough. <laughs> see, that says said it all. So, I mean, whoever you, you got to, you've, it's humor. Humor is a really difficult thing, though. I'm just wondering: is there anything that everybody finds funny? A general question. 
And the answer that is like, Monty Python. Well, it's funny. I thought I was thinking Monty Python when I said that. I think Monty Python can be very funny, but it can also be silly, silly. And that's what Monty Python is. But there are some people that I've spoken to who just don't like Monty Python at all because it's too silly. The um, there, there are uh, who who are the guys who do outrageous things? Jackass, the jackass people. Some people find that hilarious. Other people find it puerile. Humor is a really difficult thing to get right. And I mean, there's lots of um, when Harry Met Sally is a really funny movie, a funny romantic movie. I'm just wondering whether. Is humour better when there's romance involved? General question for all the of you. Bullet Train didn't have any romance in it, that's for sure. <laughs> no, okay, that's true. So, but I, I, it, it's more of: Do you think it 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 I, does romance aid humour? Is the question, I suppose, Dave? No, because I find a lot of films and theatre and stand-up comedians funny that don't have romance in there. Okay, fair enough. Um, no, well, look, I think I think Employee of the Month is going to satisfy a lot of people. It's going to be one of those films that uh, that people are going to go along and see, and wow, this is really gentle, light-hearted entertainment. Doesn't leave an aftertaste, but you know, if you're in a in a bad mood, go along and see something like this, and it'll make you feel good. And and that's that's the purpose of the of the film, folks. We've we've reached the end of the road for another Sunday. Jackie, thank you very much for being part of it. Likewise, thank you, Alex. Gregory King, I appreciated your participation. And Peter, Peter and I, Peter, you didn't disagree too much today. What's going on? Have you turned over a new leaf? Have you? Uh, no, but I might offer, uh, open a branch office. But, <laughs> and, and, and can I recommend the Melbourne International Film uh, Festival? Yes. yes, in fact, we should do that. Um, one one film you've seen, um, Myth is on. There are how many films this year? 200 and something, is it? Or is it more than it's that? A, yeah, it's about 300, I think. 300. And you've seen a particularly good film. Uh, I've got, you've only got a few seconds, but go for it, uh, Dave. Yeah, I saw The Stranger last night, Joel Edgerton's uh, brand-new film, Absolutely, absolutely brilliant film about um, how to catch a killer style film uh, where Joel Edgerton plays a police officer. Um, don't, don't tell us anymore. Do not tell us anymore. Go along and see it. What's it called? Uh, the Stranger. The Stranger. We won't be strangers for much longer. We'll speak to you next week on First on Film and Entertainment. <laughs>